Hello, and welcome to the Fad and Dad podcast. I'm Father Andrew Dickinson. His friends call him Fad. I'm Joshua Burks. His kids call him Dad. And we're the Fad and Dad podcast, where faith is meaningful and wit is an occasional guest. Yeah, no, I still don't think it's ever okay to eat yellow snow. But if your green tea is yellow and you spill your tea... Just to be safe, I wouldn't. (laughs) Just to be safe, I wouldn't. I'll give you that one. Yeah. So, yeah. Fun fact. That didn't... Yes. This is our penultimate Iggy episode. (gasps) Really? Yeah. You're saying this is the final countdown? It's the final countdown. That's that's our low budget soundboard. Yeah, ourselves probably still gonna still gonna get sued for copyright infringement. <laughs> probably, but hey, if we're big enough that people know us for copyright infringement things, then thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. And so to our dozens, dozens of listeners, uh, welcome to Fad and Dad. Welcome. Yeah, I'm Father Andrew Dickinson, the Fad of Fad and Dad. And I am Joshua Burks. I am the dad, proud dad of three rambunctious boys. Testosterone packed. <laughs> there you go. As I say, you, you're not using the same adjectives as last week. Testosterone packed. It's uh, at the time of this recording. It is it is fresh summer break for the boys and for my wife included. She works in the school system as a nurse, and so it smells like summer at our home. Yeah. And, uh, good cause for celebration. The boy, the boys are wilding out. Oh yeah, more yeah. than more than Nick Cannon. Yes. <laughs> oh man. As we approach the end of the canon of oh. uh, Saint Ignatius of Antioch. Wow, what a spin! Good job. Yeah. Um, yeah. Spin master. Well, we should have been as as you introduced last week, and and if I remember right, it went right over my head or two weeks ago. We should have been toasting a glass of Smirnoff. Oh, as painful yeah. as that would have been, <laughs> I don't think I could stomach it. Uh, yeah, probably not. I don't think it's. I wonder if it's, I do not know if there's any relationship to Smyrna. I tried. Okay, so I tried you to did. look this up. So, so today we're talking about Saint Ignatius of Antioch and his yep. letter to the Smyrnians or those at Smyrna. And I feel like by the end of this podcast, it's going to be, you know, like when a word just sounds weird after you say it enough, uh, I feel like Smyrna is going to be that, almost like the word moist. (laughs) You've been obsessed with that word for years. (laughs) Just because it elicits such beautiful reactions from people. Smyrna Smyrna might be getting up there. But uh, there has to be an etymological relationship to the company we know as Smirnoff that makes vodka. Well, I'm sure it probably, I mean, that word probably came into like the Slavic language probably through that. Maybe there's even like a town uh, after the Christianization of, uh, after the evangelization, I should say, of all uh, Rus. Mm -hmm. Uh, Mm -hmm. And maybe they uh, took that name from that ancient uh, Greek city and of venerable and holy origins and then made a vodka there and then made a vodka and then made a vodka (laughs) 
So um, here, here's a question. So in your, in your in your extensive research, extensive uh, Smirnoff vodka is that actually a Smirnoff Smirnoff Smirnoff? I don't know. I'll take either. Okay, is that actually is that like a U.S. company that added a like tried to find like a Russian sounding name? Kind of no, like Yakov Smirnoff, the bad comedian from the 1980s? I actually think it was of Russian origin. Okay. Uh, founded by Vladimir Smirnoff, uh, who apparently made a good vodka enough to make a business out of it. Hey, if you find something you're happy doing... There you go. Do it for life, yeah. I There, there might be... Um, and this is, it doesn't really have much of a point, but there might be a bit of a relationship to the word myrrh, uh, as in the gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Oh. Um, and it, it seems like at one point Smyrna might have been, um, might have exported a lot of myrrh, and so it kind of just became... The land of myrrh. The land of myrrh. Smyrna. I didn't find that in Wikipedia. Oh. Well, I did. It's my extensive research for you. I, mean, I would totally buy that. Yeah. I'd buy that. So uh, so St. Ignatius is... Oh, and fun fact, because we're, we're going to have to end with this too. There's a famous bishop of Smyrna, and he's going to come up oh. very soon. But you have to wait to the end of this episode to hear about him. Bum, bum, bum. We got to get that full listen on the uh, analytics of there the podcast. Go. There you go. So, so this is actually, it's, it's quite a wonderful little letter, uh, as they all have been. They, they all, they, they carry similar... I'm like that horrible letter to the trolley. <laughs> Remember that awful one? Ugh. <laughs> uh, but they, they each That was carry... Ignatius' early work. He hadn't quite found his voice yet. <laughs> he hadn't quite polished it. He was a little up. rough. Yeah. yeah. And then he got a good editor, and things just were much better. Then he started drinking Smirnoff. <laughs> <laughs> the muses were flowing at that point. Yeah. I um quick tangent go quick tangent so uh I had been on retreat I was coming back from retreat I was driving and was listening to some like old records and uh of course yeah some old Dave Matthews band and listening to mm. the first ever record they recorded which was most like live stuff nice and just thinking like uh, to hear like a band like this in the wild like before they were produced before they're on albums or things like that that would just be like mind-blowing right you like know, at your local like, bar or like just right. like a local gig. Yeah. And they're like doing this like eight minute song with like these extensive jams and all these different voices and like complicated like structuring and things like that. And like, who are you? Mm. You know? Yeah. Wouldn't that that'd just be crazy? You know that there's... They got a you, producer. You know that there's some guy in a booth who listened to Dave Matthew when he was young He's like, I tell you, he's going to be famous one day. And now he's the guy who says, I called it. You know, 20 years ago, I said he was going to be famous. True. True. Yeah. Prognosticator of prognosticators. Yeah. I have I, no way to organically spin that back into Ignatius in his letter to the Sumerians. <laughs> no, uh, 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 tangent over. Tangent Ta- over. Tangent over. Um, this is... To me, this was one of those letters where uh, John Henry Newman's line really just kept swimming around in, in my mind, where it says, to, to be steeped in history is to cease to be Protestant. No. Yeah. This is one of those letters that, um, that really just uh, colors in the Catholicity of the early church 
to me. And sure. we've, we've, of course, seen that in, in his previous letters. But um, this one, with again, with its own freshness, and, and we'll see why shortly. I was at a recent sure. talk of um, <clears throat> Dr. John Bergsma. He was in the uh, Lincoln, Omaha area. And he mentioned that reading St. Ignatius of Antioch specifically uh, was one of the major catalysts to his conversion to the Catholic faith. Um, yeah. And you read a letter like this, and you just it's no wonder why. Yeah, because it's you see how both it's like infused with scripture. There's parts where you just almost like like he's almost kind of quoting uh, like Matthew 25 at one point, yeah. uh, talking about the works of charity mm-hmm. and at the same time. There's like this full uh, this full vision of like what it means to follow Christ yeah. that he just like is effortlessly putting out in this relatively short letter as he's being led to his execution. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, which is which is good because we we haven't mentioned that, especially if there are any newcomers, that he yeah. is on his way to be martyred, and that that's really the underwriting context for all of these letters. It's it's his farewell address, it's his farewell exhortation, on his way to martyrdom. Right, right. His valedictory, if you will. Hey, hey. Uh, and so, yeah. So it's these, and and then the fact that, you know, this isn't someone who sat down like I'm going to write something really like composed and full that touches on all the things mm-hmm. you know he's kind of writing pastorally because he met a few deacons from these various churches who came yeah. to visit him in his uh, uh prison journey in response to their needs uh in some ways and then uh but it has these just like these rich expressions that uh of what we would consider to be like the fullness of the catholic faith yeah yeah, really well put. He wasn't trying to create a masterpiece. He was really just authentically living his vocation, <laughs> being led by the Spirit, being a mouthpiece for, for Jesus Christ. Um, and I think that's what makes it so rich. Yeah. yeah. So so when when you read through it, um, what are, and I know we, we shared a few things before recording for this, but what are some of the major themes that hit you from uh, his letter to the Smyrnians? So for me, I think like the main one would just be he's uh, the first one to describe uh, the church as Catholic. Mm-hmm. First one to use that uh, adjective, that word as an adjective, yeah. katholikos mm-hmm. uh, in Greek, to talk about uh, the church. And that's um, kind of a big deal. Yeah. Yeah, it's a huge deal, especially given how close he was to the band of the, the apostolic era, um, really part of it, uh, the New Testament probably not having even seen completion yet. And, and here is this bishop saying, where Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. Ecclesia. Catholique Ecclesia. Amen. Or Amen. <laughs> my best greek effort there boom sauce yeah yeah so he says uh wherever the bishop appears there let the congregation be just as wherever jesus christ is there is the catholic church so that idea of that just that connection between uh christ's presence and this word to describe the church and so uh, and part of this deals with the whole context of uh, what he's talking about in the letter of wanting to have that fullness of faith 
not just a faith that's partial in some ways or a faith that's a uh, partial expression of uh, the things, but rather this is a full expression uh, of, of the faith, so that sense of universal in that way. Now, of course, when mm-hmm. we think about uh, the Catholic Church, not so much maybe as a, a brand name, but in many ways, this became the dominant word to use to talk about the church is Catholic. Uh, yeah. uh, does Saint Irenaeus of Lyon use this? Do you think? Do you remember? Oh man, that's a good question. I I'm inclined to say yes, but I I can't say that confidently off the top of my head. Sure. <clears throat> but Irenaeus is so thorough that I'd be surprised if if the word is missing in his many writings, or at least his big writing. Right. In fact, so I mean, the Catholic Church really for then centuries was the common way to talk about being Christian. And yes. It was really only with the Reformation that they'd start to say, well, it's the Roman Catholic Church because mm-hmm. they want to distinguish it from their own claims to Catholicity because that word was so historical yeah. uh, and such a weighty and important world. Even though it's not in the Bible, it is has that weight for all Christians. Yeah, I, I appreciate that. Um earlier when you called it, you know, it's not so much just a branding, uh, because this is what you mentioned, you know, the word Catholic Church, or the phrase Catholic Church is not in the New Testament, but surely the theme is there, no less. And it's what St. Paul is talking about, because, you know, there was no need for branding, there was just (laughs) one church. And this is what Paul gets at when he says, you know, there there are many parts, but one body, there are many gifts, but one spirit. There are many local churches, there are many parishes and bishops, but there is one church. Uh, right. And where Jesus Christ is, there is the Catholic Church. Uh, and so St. Ignatius is just such a profound witness to the to the preservation of, of that, um, even in the apostolic times. Yeah, and, and, or not even just like a preservation, um, but like a, a, a maturation? Yeah. Yeah, you know, because like this is it's 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 more in that seed form with Saint Paul, and then the other aspect of this universality as well is the universality of all nations being called into it, mm-hmm. as Saint Paul says, like in Galatians, right? There's neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, mm-hmm. male or female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. Uh, in the sense that it's it's not a religion just for one or the other; it's for all. Yeah. Yeah. But so, yeah, so St. Nation is kind of then saying like, hey, I'm seeing all these things. And so I'm going to use this word Catholic to describe all these things that I see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's beautiful. And it, it continues to be missional for us. The, the invitation to the Catholic Church, the church that is according to the whole, um, the universal unified by the spirit church is what all are called into through through baptism and through. Through the Eucharist, which which he alludes to in this letter, through which uh, I think there's a reference to the Eucharist as, or perhaps you know, the Mass as the love feasts. Yep. Um, <clears throat> he talks about in that same in that same passage where he says, uh, "Where Jesus Christ is, there's the Catholic Church." Um, oh, where is it? The very next sentence, he says, "Without the bishop's supervision, no baptisms or love feasts yeah. are permitted." Uh, you know, the very sacraments, the water and the blood that flowed from, from Jesus' pierced side, um, the sacraments of unity, uh, the sacraments of initiation are what bind us heard, to Jesus Christ. And we've heard so often how for those early, you know, in uh, um, 
the letter of Clement that we first did and mm-hmm. the, all the letters of Ignatius have that concern for unity, yeah. uh, unity of faith, unity of teaching, unity of practice, unity of structure and communion with your bishop, the bishops in communion with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that that's part of that driving concern of the early church in that way. Yeah. And I don't mean to belabor the topic. I think we've said a lot of good things on it, but um, Ignatius would have been a really good opportunity, especially in the in the footsteps of St. Paul, to where if, if St. Paul's intentions, or the work of the early church, not just St. Paul, but Paul especially, was just to go, quote, church planting. Hmm. Um, and Ignatius is writing these different letters to these many churches. Um I don't know how to really, I'm on the border of words here, but um, Ignatius really cements that idea that although that there are many churches, you are still unified in the unity of Jesus Christ, in the unity of the Eucharist. Although you are separated by distance and and by different bishops, there is a unity that you belong to. Different language even. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So this is, go ahead. Well, no, and, and so I, I'm picking up what you're uh, laying down because yeah. you're saying that St. Ignatius would have been that opportunity to say, yeah, I mean, like Paul meant that, but what he really meant was this. Yeah. No, like Ignatius is uh, doubling down on St. Paul's teaching of that, uh, the body of Christ as it, and how could St. Paul not talk about that because his whole conversion is from the teaching of the body of Christ. Saul, exactly. Saul, why are you persecuting me? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. So... Uh, so maybe then to transition out of this Catholic point. Mm-hmm. So uh, again, uh, kind of earlier on in this letter, he gives this like, like even the first couple parts, this like beautiful description of what I call like at the heart of the gospel. Mm. You know, so what is this? What is the whole teaching? Mm. And he goes on this long part uh, in the first uh, two paragraphs or so. You know, just about uh, the heart of the gospel, which is not. I think to our modern minds, we think about being a Christian as being a good person. Mm-hmm. Well, what's it mean to be Christian? Well, you're 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 nice, you're kind, and things like that. Yeah. And uh, if you're not aware, listeners, there's a sociologist from Notre Dame, Christian Smith, who's done this very thorough research on the religious habits of millennials, uh, saying that they're not per se as much Christian as they are moralistic, therapeutic deists. That I believe in some God named Jesus, but at the heart of their religion is that they're supposed to do good and that doing good is supposed to make them feel good. Yeah. It still puts me at the center of the story. Right. Yeah. Right. What am I doing? Yeah. To therapeutically uh, make me feel better about myself. Yep. Yep. Whereas at the heart of the gospel message is what God has done. Yeah. 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 Um, this, I, I recently came across, I'm 98% sure that it's... Um, I thought you were going to say I'm 90 years old, and I was really like... Not there yet. (laughs) Not there yet. Um, But a line from Evangelii Nunciandi, uh, Pope Paul VI's great um, call for for the evangelization of the world. And uh, it's some line, I'm going to have to paraphrase because I I don't have it memorized, but evangelization does not take place if there is not the clear proclamation of jesus christ his life his death like the mysteries of jesus christ and what he accomplished and i think going along what you were just saying it's it's almost too easy for us to just think of being kind as evangelization kind of you know like pay for the pay for the person behind you in line pay for their coffee like oh what a good christian i was today right And, and not to say that that's not a good um but that's not 
explicitly, formally evangelization. Um, right. Because there's no actual proclamation of Jesus Christ in that. Yes. There's a care for someone's needs, and oftentimes the evangelization of the work of the church has almost always accompanied caring for people's needs. Yes. Uh, but instead, that's uh, missing that proclamation of Jesus. Yeah, exactly. It, it, and it needs both. I, I hope I didn't come across as that caring for people's needs was not important because... That's what, well, in fact, Ignatius talks about that in the letter. I'm not going to try and thumb through and find it, but um, he talks about... No, I I mentioned that earlier when I talked about, he kind of references Matthew 25. Yeah. And he talks about his charity and that that your charity has to be caring for widows and those who are in prison. Yeah, and he he mentions kind of the photo negative of that. Like these these false teachers are ones who are neglecting orphans and they're neglecting widows. Um, yeah. Kind of a sign of their disunity, whereas we will be known by these signs of, of charity. Right. Um, and so, yeah. uh, so that wholeness, that Catholicity of teaching, it's not just. And Pope Francis even uh, used that phrase, like the church can't just become an NGO, a non-governmental mm. organization who's <laughs> providing for needs for others. Yeah. Right. The church always has to have that proclamation and the opportunity to encounter in the power of the Spirit uh, Jesus Christ, who yeah. suffered, died, and rose from the dead. Yeah. So uh, maybe just to move us uh, along a bit, um, you know, from that uh, notion, so that the importance of the idea of the resurrection of the dead, the resurrection of the body, and and so Saint Ignatius is talking very much about like you know the the bodily reality of Jesus after uh, the resurrection. I think I had a quote mm-hmm. uh, for us on that. Um, uh, uh, for he suffered all these things for our sakes in order that he might, we might be saved. And he truly suffered just as he was truly raised himself. Not as certain unbelievers say that he suffered in appearance only. Uh, indeed, uh, and I think he goes on even too to talk about how even after the resurrection, like, he truly ate. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Uh, for I know and believe that he was in the flesh even after the resurrection. And he came to Peter and those with him and he said to them, take hold of me, handle me. And see that I'm not a disembodied demon. Immediately they touched him and believed, being closely united with his flesh and blood. Mm. So just that, uh, and here, like the you know the faith kind of becomes um, metal in a sense, right? Uh, uh, like heavy metal, uh, <laughs> rock and roll in the sense of like it's uh, it's it's flesh and blood. Like, like yes. there's a there's almost a macabre uh, to sometimes to our. Uh, puritanical influenced yeah. American sensibilities. It's almost macabre to think we're actually touching like the real like flesh and blood of Jesus. Yes, but it's so important that Jesus saved us not only through spiritual means but through physical means as well. That's the whole right. point of the <laughs> the Catholic Church and our and the sacraments of the Church that through physical means, uh, sanctifying grace is communicated. And, and, Amen. and dispense to the individual. Uh, so I actually briefly had, had the opportunity to, to experience something similar, not a sacrament proper, uh, but even how... Possible sacramental? Yeah, question mark? Maybe to be proven in, in, in the future? <laughs> sure. <laughs> to be confirmed, at least. Um, yep. uh, but how our Lord continues to be glorified even through physical expression of, of his church and, and those whom he loved. So uh, not oh, two and a half hours uh, away from us where we live right now, uh, 
at the time of this recording, people are you, talking. You're speaking in the royal plural there for we? We, yes. I don't live where Sorry, you not, okay. not fad. We is in the Burks family. Um, had a, a potential incorrupt saint. Uh, lowercase s, not not canonized. The, the process of canonization is not open, at least at this time. Uh, but her body, foundress of a local Benedictine community down in Missouri, uh, was dug up and found to be uh, incorruptible. So on, on a spirit-led whim, uh, my family and I, we went down to visit this body. And it really was a, a beautiful experience uh, where we got to see and touch uh, this incorrupt body. And it was just one of those times where I, I really got to... Um, spend time meditating on how our Lord wants to be glorified in those who love him and how our Lord continues to use physical means to dispense spiritual graces and, and spiritual healings and physical healings. Uh, Okay. What what do you mean? Like the Lord wants to be glorified. Uh, You you used a phrase just a moment ago. Yeah. Uh, The Lord wants to be glorified in his saints or in, in those whom he loves and those who, and those who, yep. And those, yep. Sure. Yeah, so what do you mean by that? Like the Lord wants to be glorified in those who love him and in those whom he loves. Yeah, I think that uh, just the name of our Lord is built up and and the witness to him is is given when um, a a soul who loves him so dearly and gave such a profound witness to him in this life uh, stands to be a, a continued physical witness to his glory and to his saving work and to his miraculous presence among us and in the church. And so uh, you, you view, you know, a potential incorrupt or those that have been proven to be incorrupt, uh, like Catherine of Siena, right, is, is a famous incorruptible body, or just the many miracles um, that the church has witnessed over the ages. And it's not for the sake of, of them exactly that they remain incorrupt or that these miracles happen, but, but they are done so so that our Lord continues to be glorified, so that through the witness of that miracle, um, yeah, yeah the, the, the saving message of Jesus can continue to be witnessed to in life and in death. There's a, there's a line from uh, St. John Vianney, I believe, that says, uh, the saints are like so many mirrors mm. in which Christ admires himself. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So seeing in this one his piety, in this one his courage, in this one his mm-hmm. wisdom, and so on. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, I, I was reading, it's, it was timely that, uh, we got to make this kind of mini pilgrimage to go see this miracle, um, in Missouri. Possible miracle. Yeah. Possible miracle, uh, with sister, um, Wilhelmina in, in Missouri. Uh, and then at the time reading Ignatius and just talking about the reality and the physicality of the gospel, they just really seemed to, uh, to be timely messages back to back for me. Yeah. Uh, awesome. Anything else you wanted to share on that? Hmm. Okay. Awesome. Good. Cool. That's awesome. Yeah, it just, uh, and again, I think for our Catholic sensibilities, it's a little odd to think about, um, these physical realities of the saints, but there is a long history of incorrupt saints. Yeah. Um, St. Therese of Lisieux, um, and in fact, a couple years ago, uh, the church brought her relics, uh, all around the United States, hmm. uh, and yeah, that's right. uh, and many people went on pilgrimage to uh, pray with her relics, right? Mm-hmm. To um, and just <clears throat> um, so if you have any non-Catholic listeners, uh, just kind of a little weirded out by this, <laughs> um, but just in the same way too, like you might go to a beloved uh, relative's grave, mm-hmm. right, to mark 
the impact of their life on you, how you might uh, want to go to the uh, see maybe you're a huge basketball fan. You want to go where Joe Naismith uh, first uh, nailed the peach baskets against the wall or whatever <laughs> it was, right? Um, and all those things. So in the or same way, even thinking biblically. When, uh, sure, when they sure. dug up the bones of Elijah, which continued to administer uh, miracles, or when the the, the shadow of Saint Paul would, right. would fall on people, or the the the, the cloth of Peter um, yep. would continue to heal um, and and provide miracles, uh, our Lord, when when He's pleased to do so, can can continue to do so. Right, and like without Peter even knowing. Yeah, right? exactly. They're just he's just he's just walking along on his business, and people in faith are just like, "Let me get close to his shadow," and by their faith in Jesus's presence in them, they're healed. Yeah, yeah. By their faith in Jesus's presence in Peter, yeah. these people are healed. Yeah. And so, yeah. So just to flesh flesh that out a bit. Hey. Hey. So. Awesome. Uh, yeah. Well, awesome. This was uh, this was good. Yeah. Very good. So, what do we have next? Next week, we have our last Ignatian letter. Whoa! Whoa! Um, I thought they would never end. (laughs) Finally. Uh, So, next week, we'll be discussing St. Ignatius of Antioch and his letter to the Bishop of Smyrna, Polycarp. Yeah, so he had one letter to the whole church and one letter just to his body. So now we get to see the real stuff he wanted to tell the people of Smyrna. <laughs> this is like the um, oh the commentary. What do you call it when you buy a DVD and you get like the director's, director's commentary? Cut? Yeah, director's cut. Sure. Yeah. yeah. This is what I really want to do here. <laughs> yep. So yeah, this will be our so. last letter of Ignatius, and we get to see uh, a letter of one saint and bishop to another saint and bishop. Boom. Although they're just normal joes at the time yeah maybe we should write letters to one another dude just in case why aren't these kind of like the letters hey we should have a podcast and we could call it fad and And dad yeah let's go (laughs) oh man god bless you dozens thank you dozens thank you have a blessed week or day or month life Mm-hmm.